Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to another epic episode of the Ape Academy podcast. We are doing a special three-part series in honor of the man, the myth, the iconic legend, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That was him speaking one day before he was tragically assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. It's chilling because it seems like he has foreseen it. Maybe God spoke to him in his dreams and warned him. Maybe he he felt like it was just a matter of time. But he definitely knew something was going to happen. And he acknowledges, look, keep going. I might not make it with you, but we will get there. I really, really appreciate his encouraging legacy, his powerful words, his calming presence, his leadership, right? I don't know where we would be as a country without Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I just want to shout him out on the podcast. We're going to do a three-part episode. This is episode two. And what we're talking about today is we're going far, far back. We want to know what system was Dr. King and the other participants in the civil rights movement fighting against? How did it begin? Where did Jim Crow come from? What was segregation? How did we get here as a country? For a country that was founded on the Declaration of Independence, founded on the blood of patriots, how in the heck did we get to a point where black citizens who had fought in every world war up until that point, black citizens could not even be equals in society? We're going to discuss that and we're going to start with Reconstruction and the Black Codes. I hope everyone is enjoying the series so far. We had an episode come out yesterday about Jim Crow. Who is Jim Crow? I hope you guys learned something today. I had a whole lot of fun researching for this podcast. Sometimes it's hard to read these facts and and research about this time period because it was such a brutal period of time to be black in America. But 
I feel like the truth needs to be put out there and we really need to dig a little bit. Dr. King would want us to dig. He would want us to look back on history and reflect on how far we've come. I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. God bless y'all. I'm happy to be here with you. Ape. Alright guys, as you know, I'm Mr. Chase H. I'm the host of this podcast, clearly. (laughs) Thank you for joining me. All the great music, all the wonderful beats are done by my good friend, Mr. Organic Dope. Thank you, brother. We appreciate you. Alright, alright, alright. Today's episode is called Reconstruction and the Black Codes. Reconstruction and the Black Codes codes and we're going to talk about what the black codes were so we got a few sources history.com constitutional rights foundation ferris state university the university of virginia and my old dusty brain up here (laughs) i took a bunch of classes i'm a history major and i'm a graduate student in history and i had to dust off the old cobwebs i took a bunch of classes undergrad at uva One of my favorites was called The Rise and Fall of the Slave South. So, I'm one of your sources today. (laughs) All right. So, where are we starting? We're starting at the Civil War. And right off the bat, okay, I really want to dispel the major myth about why the Civil War was fought. There's a lot of people out there who think the Civil War was fought to free the slaves. Pay attention to my language. Was fought to free the slaves. It was not. Now, there were definitely some people, some actors, you know, some powers to be in the North that wanted slaves to be free. They were called abolitionists. Frederick Douglass was one of them. Very influential, influential people, very powerful people, very powerful voices. However, The Union politicians knew better. The average citizen in the North, you know, maybe they felt a little bit bad for black folks in the South that were slaves, but it didn't really affect their everyday lives. It wasn't until these new westward territories were opened up for settlement that people really started to take notice of slavery. Before, you could just turn the other way and kind of look away and, oh, you knew they were slaves, but, you know, I'm not going to pay attention to that. But once the territory started opening up and once settlers started moving west beyond the Mississippi, they were bringing their families, they were bringing their religion, they were bringing their disease, they were bringing their culture, but they were also bringing their slaves west. And the Union politicians, the Yankee politicians knew that they could not allow slavery to spread into the the territories that were previously owned, operated, and used by Native American tribes, indigenous groups. If you want to know more about the push westward, I have a bunch of podcasts. 
I did them during Indigenous Peoples Month in, in November, and it really talks about the indigenous people of the Great Plains of America, and it talks about how the westward expansion of white settlers really changed the entire power structure of the continent. Go back. It's a great listen. I highly suggest it. All right, so here we are at the Civil War. Let's define what Reconstruction was real quick before we start. Reconstruction was from 1865 to 1877. It was a turbulent era that followed the conclusion of the Civil War. So as soon as the Civil War ended, Reconstruction started. It was an effort to reintegrate southern states from the Confederacy and also the 4 million newly freed black slaves that were freed via the Emancipation Proclamation. All right, everyone knows what that is. Okay, so we defined it. War breaks out. At the onset of the Civil War, to the dismay of the radical elements of the Republican Party, okay, so there are two main parties, Republicans and Democrats at the time, and Abraham Lincoln was the, the head of the Republican Party. President Abraham Lincoln did not make the abolition of slavery a main priority of the Union war effort. So, remember what I just said. President Lincoln, it was on his list, maybe, like he might get to it, but it was not the driving force of why the Union fought against the South. Lincoln feared that making emancipation the main effort would simply drive the border slave states who were still, they were still hanging on, the border states were still loyal to the Union. So, if... President Lincoln was like, yo, slavery needs to go. Slavery needs to end now. The border states would be like, uh-uh. We're not messing with this guy. We're siding with the Confederacy. And that would definitely swing the balance of power. So he knew better than that. He knew that to do that would push these states into the arms of the waiting Confederacy. And it would anger many of the conservative Northerners in the Republican Party. But, however, right, by the summer of 1862... Enslaved people had forced the issue themselves and they would flock. They were flocking by the thousands to the Union side. They were flocking as the Union army pushed south. The slaves would, would, they would desert their plantations. They would leave their owners and they would rush toward the Union lines. They would flock to the Union side as the army campaigned throughout the south. These desperate actions by the former slaves completely shattered one of the most common Southern myths that they created in order to justify slavery or, no, or what is known as the particular institution. I'm sorry, the peculiar institution. That's what they called slavery back then. They don't want to call it what it was, right? They wanted to have a nice little pretty name for it. The Southerners had perpetuated this myth, right, this straight-out lie that the enslaved people were happy in bondage. They were content. They were fine. We were taking care of them. Without us, they were just unruly savages, and they couldn't take care of themselves. They would be running wild. They love how we take care of them. They love that we're their masters, okay? They're completely content in bondage. The enslaved population's desire for freedom, their yearning for freedom, convinced President Lincoln that emancipation had become a political and military 
necessity. So Lincoln was not blind to this. He was keeping close eyes on the war. And what he was seeing was, as the war went better and better and better for the North, more slaves were flocking to the Northern side. They were clamoring to sign up and join the army. In response to Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, which freed more than 3 million slaves in the Confederate States by January 1st, 1863, black people were enlisting in the Union Army in massive numbers. Black troops numbered 180,000 by the end of the war. Holy crap. And black soldiers fought their butts off and they were some of the best units in the entire military, both on the Confederate and the Union side because they had something to fight for, right? They had something they truly believed in and they wanted to, sh they wanted to really show their loyalty to the country and they were proud Americans. And that's the most ironic thing about this whole story. As we're going to go further, we'll talk about it more. Emancipation raised the stakes significantly for both sides, especially for the South. Okay, so when Lincoln freed the slaves, this just up the freaking ante. All right, because now the South was put on alert. Like, if we if we lose to these guys, if we lose, our way of life is over. Like, Lincoln already freed the slaves. So if the Yankees come down here and, and whoop us, we're not getting that lifestyle back. All right? And it was unclear, right? It was unclear what would happen if, if the Union won. How? How could the South survive this type of cultural upheaval? It would spark a large-scale social revolution in the South if the South lost. And no one really knew if they were ready for that, if the country was ready for it. Over the next several years, as the war looked like it was almost a foregone, uh, foregone conclusion, like Union victory seemed like it was just a matter of time. At, at a certain point in the war, Union victory was pretty much assured. Uh, the Confederate troops were running out of, they were running out of money. Their supply lines were, were ragged. They were trapped. They were, they were basically running from trap to trap to trap like a mouse. And the Union Army with uh, Sheridan, with Grant, they're just positioning themselves just trying to trap the mouse. And that's really, it was just a, it was just a matter of time really, okay? The, the clock was ticking. So while this was happening, the president was considering how to welcome the South back into the Union. How was he going to allow them to rejoin the country after they broke away and pretty much sparked a massive, bloody, destructive war within the states, between the states. But by the by the war's end, there was no plan. Lincoln was like, I have no idea how to get these guys to come back. I mean, even if we even if we win, which we will, they're gonna be so bitter, they're gonna be so resentful, there's gonna be so much, you know, mistrust. How are we gonna get them to come back into the fold? And that was the question of the time. That was a really, really crucial question for Lincoln to answer. All right. Andrew Johnson and the Presidential Reconstruction Plan. All right. Five days after the Civil War ended, President Lincoln was shot and killed. On uh, he Well, he finally died. He lingered for a few days. He was shot and critically wounded, mortally wounded. And he lingered and he died. He passed away tragically on April 15th, 1865. He was killed by John Wilkes Booth, a disillusioned, 
crazy person who was also a struggling actor. If you notice a trend, Jim Crow was a struggling actor. John Wilkes Booth was a struggling actor. Vice President Andrew Johnson assumed the presidency. He stepped in. However, Johnson was a Southerner. As a Southerner, Johnson favored readmitting the Southern states as quickly as possible back into the Union. Lincoln's successor, as Lincoln's successor, President Andrew Johnson announced his plans for reconstruction at the end of May 1865. And his policies reflected his strong views on states' rights and limits on federal power. All right, he was a state rights guy, as many Southerners were. They believed strongly in state rights and small government in the power of local government. That's one thing that kind of separated the South from the North. The North was more big government. The South really, really focused on small local government. In Johnson's view, the South really gave, really never gave up their rights to govern themselves, which is ridiculous. I don't know why he thought that. He believed that the federal government had no right to determine voting requirements or many other questions on the local and state level. <laughs> That's crazy. After what they did, he's still like, well, they can determine what, what they do for themselves. I, I, I don't, you know, loyalty to your state was highly valued back then, as you can tell from the war that was fought. But even with a unionist, right, like Andrew Johnson, he still was tied to the South. He still couldn't break away. With Johnson's presidential reconstruction plan, all the land that was previously confiscated by the Union Army and redistributed to the formerly enslaved people by the Freedmen's Bureau was returned to the pre-war owners. So the Union Army had seized some plantations, some land from some of the known Confederate generals, some of the known Confederate conspirators. They had taken that land and they had created a Freedmen's Bureau, which was a government agency, which we'll talk about in a second. And they started redistributing small plots of land to slaves. But Andrew Johnson wanted to start giving that land back. Southern states under Johnson were only required to honor the 13th Amendment, swear loyalty to the Union, and pay off war debts. So last episode, we talked about the amendments that were put in the Constitution specifically in response to the aftermath of the Civil War to make sure that the recently freed slaves were not just thrown back into slavery once the Union troops left. So that's the 13th Amendment. That's saying basically you can't re-enslave black people. Military governors were installed. Other than that, southern states were basically left alone to govern slash rebuild themselves. No good. Of course, as you can as you can predict, white southerners resented even the thought of being ruled over by a Union military governor and the Freedmen Bureau officials. So the Freedmen's Bureau, that's hard to say. Ooh. It was a government agency and they were installed in the South, right? Their agents were everywhere. And they basically, their job was to take care of the former or the former slaves, right? To ensure that they were educated, they were fed, they were clothed, they weren't just, their rights just weren't trotted over, they weren't drug all over the place, right? Basically, they were just there to make sure that the South behaved, okay? Let's talk about it. 
Southerners sought to reestablish self-rule. Military governors had been installed by Johnson until new state governments could be formed. I just said that. The Freedmen's Bureau, the government agency, was established shortly before the war ended. The agency provided food and medical aid to former slaves. It established schools for the freedmen. For the freedmen. By 1870, a quarter million black children and adults attended more than 4,000 of these schools all across the South. They also helped former slaves in the workplace. They tried to make sure that the former slaves received fair wages and freely chose their employers. They also created special courts to settle disputes between black workers and their white employers. They could intervene in other cases as well that threatened the rights of black workers. So pretty much anything that threatened the, the ability of black folks to get employment, insert the Freedmen's Bureau, okay? That was their job. Their job was to make sure that there was a place for black folks in Southern life, right? In the Southern society. They weren't just outcasts and shoved into a forest and barbed wire was put around them, right? They still had to be integrated into the community. They were required to have jobs. And the government made sure of this, all right? Or they're supposed to make sure of this. They didn't always do it. So, during the summer and fall of 1865, most of the old Confederate states held constitutional conventions. President Johnson's Reconstruction Plan only permitted white men to vote for convention delegates or to participate in the framing of the new state governments. Not surprisingly, surprise, surprise, none of the state conventions even remotely considered extending the right to vote to black folks remember now we got to remember this is before the 15th amendment was ratified into law the 15th amendment granted the right to vote to all u.s citizens male citizens regardless of previous condition of servitude so the 15th amendment was passed was was finally ratified in 1870 into law but this these Confederate state constitutional conventions were held in 1865. So this was a few years, well before the 15th Amendment was set in stone. So basically, the Confederate states were like, all right, fine. Y'all free? Y'all ain't voting, that's for sure. Like, there's no way we're let you guys vote. Yeah, we lost the war. Yeah, these, these damn Yankees are trying to tell us what to do. But what they're not going to tell us to do is how to treat our black people our n-words those are our people right and we're not gonna let them vote they're not gonna have any say in our government and that of course was expected south carolina's provisional government or governor passionately declared that this is a white man's government and that is the governor of south carolina by the end of 1865 most of the south had held elections under the new state constitutions most of the time actually almost every time ex-rebels i.e. ex-confederate leaders won elections for state government offices and, and even for seats in the U.S. Congress these newly formed legislatures quickly authorized badly needed public projects to rebuild the infrastructure that was damaged by the war and they levied taxes in order to pay for these projects 
So the South needed a lot of reconstruction. They, le- they needed to be rebuilt. A lot of the, the structure, the economic structure, the infrastructure in the South was absolutely demolished. So, of course, states had to start these public programs in order to rebuild everything. And in order to do that, they had to tax people. Someone had to pay for it. Among these projects was the creation of the first free public school system in the South. But of course, the public schools did not accept black students. What a surprise, once again. So this is this is where the black codes come in, all right? Due to President Johnson's lenient policies, many Southern states in 1865 and in 1866 successfully enacted a series of oppressive, evil laws known as the Black Codes. The first Black Code was actually ratified by, guess who? Mississippi. White legislatures saw little reason not to continue the deeply ingrained traditions of unequal, vicious treatment of Black citizens. An editorial in the Macon, Georgia, Daily Telegraph newspaper reflected this commonly held opinion of most Southerners at the time. Quote, there is such a radical difference in the mental and moral nature of the white and black race that it would be impossible to secure order in a mixed community by the same law. That's a direct quote from a major newspaper in Macon, Georgia. These black codes were specifically designed to restrict the newly freed population's activities and to ensure that they were easily accessible as a cheap and controllable labor force. Let me repeat that. These black codes were specifically designed to restrict the newly freed population's activities and to ensure that they were easily accessible as a cheap, controllable labor force. The first black code was enacted by Mississippi and it proved to be extremely harsh and vindictive. South Carolina soon followed with another vindictive law. It was slightly less harsh, but just as restrictive as Mississippi's laws. The black codes that were enacted immediately after the Civil War varied from state to state, but all of them were specifically intended to secure a steady supply of cheap labor for the state. Remember, they needed to do these public projects, so they needed labor. But they couldn't enslave black people because of the 13th Amendment. So they had to find different ways to restrict them and kind of force them back into work. Whites feared that if freedmen did not work for, for white landowners, the agricultural economy of the South would collapse. So <laughs> they basically wanted slavery to come back. And they were afraid that without black folks, without black people working, black people built the South. All right. I don't care what anyone says. African-Americans built the South and white folks were afraid. Hey, look, if they're not working, we're not working. We're not trying to work. Someone got to work up in here. (laughs) We can't just all be sitting around looking at each other. You know, (laughs) during the final months of 1865, a rumor has spread among the black population that the, that the federal government were going to grant 40 acres and a mule to every ex-slave on Christmas day. Of course, this is not true. This is just a rumor. Even though the feds did not confiscate 
a lot of land and they did give some to freed slaves it never planned to do so on a large scale basis they did confiscate a little bit of land and they did redistribute it to some slaves but they had no intention to give every freed slave 40 acres and a mule that was way outside of their scope way outside of their power but the rumor was still spreading so black folks really thought that it was going to happen nonetheless expecting their own plots of land blacks began to sign work contracts with white landowners for the new year thinking that they were going to be able to work their own land at the same time whites were passing around their own rumors that blacks would rise up in rebellion once this free land that they thought was happening didn't appear so what happened there were vagrancy laws that declared a black citizen vagrant if unemployed and without permanent residence a person defined as vagrant could be arrested fined and and bound out for a term of labor if unable to pay the fine so basically re-enslaved <laughs> let me repeat that there were vagrancy laws that declared a black citizen vagrant if unemployed and without permanent residence a person defined as vagrant could be arrested fined and bound out for a term of labor if unable to pay the fine of course they couldn't pay the fine they didn't have a they were they were just freed the slaves were just freed two years ago not even two years ago so if, if you're still looking for a job let's say you were looking for a job and you're you were you're were, you were going on tuesday to sign a contract to work and they caught you on monday and they said hey boy do you have a job you said no they could arrest you and throw you in jail if you couldn't pay the fine to get out of jail guess what you're re-enslaved you were bound out for a term of labor that's what they called it apprentice laws provided for the hiring out of orphans and other young dependents to whites who just by coincidence happened to be their previous owners what a coinky dink you notice I'm saying that a lot this episode you see how the powers to be in the south were trying to trying to you know manipulate find loopholes slither their way like little snakes around the law to try to get black folks to be under them under their boot heels again that vagrancy law is crazy so they basically if you didn't have a family if you were just a, a black a black uh, kid a young kid and your parents were killed in the civil war or they were they were attacked and killed by a lynch mob or or the terrorist kkk and you didn't have a family anymore they could basically take you and give you to white people to, to work for and it was just a coincidence that a, a lot of these you know situations occurred with white owners that used to own these kids some states limited the, the type of property blacks could own in others black folks were excluded from certain businesses or from the skilled trades former slaves were also forbidden to carry firearms or to testify in court except for cases concerning other black so if it was black on black they could go to court all day if it was black on white hell no nah. y'all ain't coming to court y'all ain't testifying legal marriage between blacks was allowed and recognized but the marriage between white and black was strictly forbidden and outlawed punishment in forms of lynching by a mob or imprisonment northern backlash so the south didn't just get away with this now, 
I'm not going to lie. They did not get away with this. The Mississippi and South Carolina Black Codes, the very harsh ones we talked about previously of 1865, provoked a storm, an outrage, a storm of protest among many Northerners. They accused the South of trying to restore slavery. So Congress even refused to seat any Southern congressman who was elected under the new state constitutions. The Northern politicians considered these state constitutions illegal, like they were done illegally. The Northern opponents of President Johnson were pissed. They were pissed off, mainly because the entire point of fighting this, this bloody war, the entire point of the Union committing all this blood and treasure was to ensure that slavery was not expanded, that slavery was not continued. And what was happening was the South was attempting to snake their way out of the deal by re-enslaving the recently freed population. Northern voters rejected Johnson's policies in the congressional elections in late 1866. And guess who took over? The radicals. Radical Republicans took control in Congress and of all reconstruction programs in the South in 1866. The following March over Johnson veto, so even though Johnson vetoed it, vetoed it, the Congress still passed it. Congress passed the Reconstruction Act of 1867. This Reconstruction Act temporarily divided the South into five distinct military districts, and it also outlined how governments should be based on universal, universal, in all caps I wrote, male suffrage was to be organized. So this Reconstruction Act, it divided the South into distinct military districts controlled by a Union military governor, strictly controlled, and it determined that the new governments had to allow every able-bodied male, every male that was a citizen that was born in the United States to vote. And it had to be organized based around this issue, this concept of universal male suffrage. The act forced the southern states to ratify the 14th Amendment, which broadened the definition of citizenship, granting equal protection under the law before they were allowed to rejoin the union. So if you were a southern state, you cannot suck from the government's teeth. You cannot rejoin the union if you did not ratify these new amendments. You, in order to become part of the United States again, you had to make sure that y'all ratified your congressmen, your representatives, sat their butts down in Congress and passed this bill, these new amendments. Else nothing was happening. Nothing was moving forward. I actually respect the radical Republicans for this. You know, I, I find that commendable. In February of 1869, Congress approved the 15th Amendment, which finally passed in 1870, which guaranteed a citizen's right to vote regardless of previous condition of servitude. Under the close watch of Congress, the southern states held new constitutional conventions in 1867 to 1868. This time, the freedmen participated and voted. That's good. That's awesome. The new convention re resulted in these new conventions resulted in new state constitutions that guaranteed the right on paper, the right of black adult males to vote and run for public office. And they even won a few of them. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial slash musical break. 
We'll be back in a flash. I hope you guys are enjoying the podcast as much as I am. Don't worry, we're almost done. Ape. break wasn't it all right this is the commercial part please please follow us follow the ape academy on ig at ape academy we're on twitter at a underscore defensive we're on facebook (laughs) at ape defensive solutions and don't forget tiktok everybody ape academy pod thank you so much all right we're almost done we're in the final Stages of the race. We're almost to the finish line, guys, for this episode. We have another one coming on, what's today? Wednesday. On Wednesday. All right. The end is near. In 1870, all the former Confederate states had been admitted into the Union. The state constitutions, during the years of radical reconstruction, as they called it, with the control of the radical Republicans in Congress, They were the most progressive in the history of the South. The participation of blacks in Southern public life after 1867 is by far the most radical development of the Reconstruction era. Southern black folks won elections to Southern state governments and even to the U.S. Congress during this period. Can you believe it? That would have been unfathomable two years prior, three years prior. After 1867, an increasing number of Southern whites turned to violence. They were bitter. They were angry. Just miserable people. And they couldn't stand to see black people coming up and black people doing something for themselves without them. So in 1867, an increasing number of Southern whites turned to violence in response to the revolutionary changes of radical reconstruction. The Ku Klux Klan and other white supremacist organizations targeted local Republican leaders, white and black alike, and anyone who challenged white authority. Even though in 1871, the feds under President Ulysses S. Grant passed legislation aimed at curbing the violence and curbing and checking the power of the Klan and others that attempted to interfere with black suffrage and other rights, As support slash attention towards the Reconstruction gradually faded in the North, white supremacy took hold in the South. All right, so let me explain this. That was a little convoluted. So, the KKK is formed in Tennessee. They become stronger and stronger and stronger. They start as a little weirdo organization with a bunch of nerds and fat people, fat rednecks. And then what they do is they start gaining power. They start gaining membership. They start taking over local governments. They bully people. They murder people. They beat people up. They spread propaganda and lies and try to terrorize and, and, and you know just drive people out of the area. Anyone who did not agree with white power and white supremacy. All right. So in 1871, President Grant, who was the, the hero of the Civil War the, for the Union, 
the hero general who finally defeated Robert E. Lee, he tries to curb the power of the Klan with a bunch of legislation. But the problem was people were, were, were starting not, they, they, they didn't really care in the North anymore. They're they starting not to care. They were starting to get tired of taking care of black people. They're just like, man, we're starting to get tired of this. We don't feel like doing it anymore. We gave you two years, you know, or five years or six years, however long it's been at this point, what it's been. Yeah, it's been six years. We've been doing it for six years. There are other issues we need to focus on. They need to start taking care of themselves. The South, we need to stop holding their hand because it's draining our pockets. So as, you know, as attention and support faded, white supremacy took over in the power vacuum. Racism was a powerful force in both North and South, and Republicans gradually became more conservative, more conservative and less egalitarian as the 1870s drug on. All right, so racism was the main driving force behind the kind of lack of attention that continuing, continuing reconstruction needed. Right, the radical Republicans came in and they changed a bunch of stuff, but unfortunately, they could not. They could not uh, keep that momentum alive. They could not keep the party going. They could not keep the enthusiasm of their party focused on Reconstruction. There were a lot of other issues in the country at the time. In 1874, after an economic depression plunged many areas in the South into poverty, the Democratic Party took control of the House of Representatives for the first time since the Civil War. They won control from the radical Republicans in Congress for the first time. When Democrats waged a brutal campaign of violence attempting to take control back in Mississippi in 1875, Grant cowardly refused to send federal troops. He refused to send help for the local black people of Mississippi who were fighting against racism, fighting against the violent oppression of the KKK, all the locals, good people who were trying to make sure black people had rights, the, the KKK was terrorizing them, and Grant refused to send federal aid. This refusal marked the official end of federal support for Reconstruction. It pretty much gave the state, the southern state governments, free reign now. So by Grant refusing to send federal troops in, to help the Mississippi, the Mississippians, the black Mississippians, that was the end of the patience of the North for Reconstruction. That officially marked the end of Reconstruction. In 1876, only Florida, Louisiana, and South Carolina were still in Republican hands. In a contested election in 1876, the worst president ever, one of the worst presidents ever, Republican President Rutherford B. Hayes reached a compromise with Democrats in Congress. He was the most milquetoast, boring, lame, nerd president. He was one of the most in American history. In exchange for certification of his election, he acknowledged Democratic control of the entire South. So his weak need, no spine having ass, gave up the power. They had them. They had the South where they wanted him. They had the radical Republicans in there, and Grant was the first one to drop the ball. And then that idiot, Rutherford B. Hayes, dropped it further. And now the Democrats, the Southern racist Democrats, are back in control. The entire South, Republicans lost all their hold. 
on all government positions in the South. So every single state rep, every single local rep, every single governor was a Democrat. The Compromise of 1876 marked the formal end of Reconstruction. The struggle to deal with the fallout from emancipation would continue for years to come. As soon as this Compromise of 1876 took effect, the southern states began trying to end black voting. By 1910, all southern states had excluded blacks from voting. So they ignored, they didn't care. They didn't ignore the 15th Amendment. We don't care. They're not going to enforce it. They're not going to, I don't, it might be in the Constitution, but they can't come down here and make us do it. That's what they were saying. They were saying, yeah, these Yankees, these N-word lovers up north, they might have made that, that stupid little 15th Amendment, but let them come down here and enforce it. They don't have the guts to do that. We control the Congress. The Democrats control the United States government, and they were not going to enforce their own constitution, and they were right until the mid-1960s. In the 1890s, southern states enacted a new form of black codes called the Jim Crow Laws, and this is where we're ending it today. The next episode is going to be about Jim Crow and the reign of segregation. All right? I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I'm passionate about these subjects as a uh, black man myself. I love studying the history of this country, especially the history of the South, because it really shows us how far we've come and how far we have to go. Thank you so much for joining me on this special MLK edition of the Act, Protect, Engage podcast. I love you guys. I really appreciate everyone tuning in. God bless y'all. Put God first. Put your family first. Stay positive. Keep working hard. Get freaking after it. Don't let anyone, nobody, I don't care who you, are, who they are. I don't care who you are. I don't care what station you are in life, where you at in life. Do not let anyone tell you you cannot do something. God bless you all. Stay safe. Ape out. episode separate and unequal the reign of jim crow and segregation in the south god bless y'all i'm really out this time (laughs) ape